Good morning. We're reading this morning from Matthew chapter 14 and starting at verse 22 and I'm reading from the New International Version. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just, sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. And this is God's precious word. Peter walking on water is one of the iconic Peter moments, isn't it? You know, when we think of Peter the disciple, we think of him on the water. We think of him stepping out of the boat. This is kind of one of those key moments uh, on Peter's journey or path of discipleship, isn't it? Here we see Peter's eagerness and enthusiasm to follow Jesus expressed in both kind of this dance of, of, of faith and also fear. What was Peter learning in this moment as he stepped out of the boat? And what can we as followers and disciples of Jesus learn from this story today? It's important firstly that we, we place this particular incident in its context. Jesus had just fed the 5,000, a dramatic miracle, demonstrating his authoritative power to provide for the needs of a significantly large crowd. It had been a strenuous and emotional day for Jesus and his disciples. Earlier in chapter 14, if you look at the entire chapter, we learn that John the Baptist had been beheaded and news of this had just reached Jesus. This was Jesus's cousin, the babe who had leapt in Elizabeth's womb when Mary had greeted her with Jesus in her womb. I imagine that Jesus and John the Baptist were incredibly close. Cousins in ancient Middle Eastern community would have been like siblings. In addition to their family connection and closeness, both John and Jesus were messengers of God. Their lives had been completely given over to the mission 
of God. They shared a common passion. They'd made sacrifices. And they shared that burden for the work of God. Now, John had died in a most undignified way. And Jesus would be understandably shattered. Jesus needed to get away and have some time alone to deal with this news and to grieve the loss of John. So he withdrew on a boat by himself to a private place. At least that was his intention. But with Jesus' ever-increasing popularity, finding time to be alone was becoming a real challenge. And so as he arrived on the water's edge, we read that a crowd who had walked from the surrounding towns were there awaiting him. Now at this moment, Jesus would have had every reason to get out of that boat and say, guys, I just need some time. My cousin John has just been beheaded and I'm really not feeling up to it today. Can you just let me have some time? But no, the text tells us that Jesus had compassion on them. He healed their sick and no doubt spent the day with them teaching about the kingdom of God and ministering the presence of Jesus. So Jesus goes to be alone, to be private and quiet with God, to deal with the grief that he would have felt humanly in his heart over what had occurred to John. But instead, he spends the day doing ministry, healing the sick, teaching about the kingdom of God. And there's such a large crowd of people, of men and women. And it comes to the end of the day. And Peter is thinking, well, Lord, we've had a full day of ministry. You want to have some time out. Can we please send the people away? It's getting dark. They need to go home for dinner. And that is when Jesus came about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So that miracle in itself, we often think of it kind of on its own. But it's actually at the tail end of an entire day of ministry. Uh, When Jesus was reeling from the news of the beheading of his cousin John. Finally, after the crowd had been fed and that wonderful miracle of the feeding had taken place, people, uh, Jesus decided to send the crowds home and he told the disciples to go on a boat ahead of him back across the lake. And finally, at the end of a long day of ministry, Jesus was able to go to the mountainside and be alone with God. Spending time alone with God was a regular habit for Jesus. He modelled this to his disciples and without a doubt, Peter was taking note. This week I read an interesting chapter in a book called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. And the chapter was called, Where is Your Gethsemane? And in, in this chapter, Gary highlights from Luke twenty-two thirty-nine that Gethsemane, also known as the Mount of Olives, was a place or a garden where Jesus would regularly go to spend time. It was his go-to place. The Mount of Olives was the place where Jesus frequently went to retreat, to withdraw from the world, from the busyness of ministry, to spend time communing with the Father, with God. You know, when we think of Gethsemane, we think of Jesus wrestling with God in prayer and dripping, uh, dripping, sweating drips of blood, don't we? We think of that night before his betrayal. We think of the disciples falling asleep. But what we see here is that Gethsemane was actually a place 
that facilitated encounters with God for Jesus. This was Jesus' safe place. And in some respects, that makes the betrayal occurring in that place even more significant, even more sacred. The, The safe place that Jesus had known was invaded. It was abused. But what we learn from this is that if Jesus needed a special retreat place to go to, to be with his Father, away from distractions, then how much more do we? Of course, depending on your life stage, especially if you have young children, it may not be possible to go somewhere external, to be alone with God in his presence. Perhaps it will just be a special place, maybe even a chair, that is somewhere that you can go and be with God. A a chair or a place that is reserved for times of solace and connection with God. Wherever it is, though, is not really the point. The idea here is that, like Jesus, disciples need to cultivate uh, places where they can retreat and withdraw to be with God. We need to find places where we can encounter God. And Peter was observing this, and he was learning from Jesus' ministry. And what we will find in the Gospels is that whenever Jesus retreats to a mountainside, whenever Jesus retreats to the Mount of Olives, a significant ministry or miracle occurs after. And the idea here is that our ministry, or the ministry of Jesus first and foremost, flowed out of his prayer life. It flowed out of his devotion, his walk, his intimacy with God. And so I think this weekend, as a leadership team has spent time withdrawing, spending time with God, and this morning we've prayed for our leaders, I want to say to all of those leaders, as I want to say to all of us, that any ministry we exercise, be it in this church, be it outside of this church, it must flow from retreating and withdrawing regularly to places where we can encounter God so that our ministry is flowing out of our prayer life. Jesus spent time listening to the Father, listening to what God had given him to do. And that then directed his path. That was what gave him the strength to do the ministry that he did. When humanly speaking, uh, it would not have been possible. And so wherever you find yourself at the beginning of the year, maybe you're feeling enthused, encouraged, to be serving God in whatever capacity or way he's called you to do that. Maybe you're feeling exhausted, tired, uh, daunted by another year. But I just invite you, wherever you're at, to ground your ministry, whatever that looks like, the ministry that God has given to you, to ground it in that regular place of withdrawal and retreat so that whatever you do flows out of that intimate walk with God. Now, while Jesus is alone on the mountain in prayer, the disciples are having a difficult time crossing the Sea of Galilee in the dark of night. The text tells us that the winds had picked up and the waves are crashing on the boat. And these are not the kind of conditions that one wants to be out in the water in. To their shock and surprise, the disciples see a figure moving on the water in terror and they fear that it is a ghost. Jesus then calms their fears with these comforting words. 
take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Effectively, Jesus is inviting them to exchange their fear for faith. As Peter hears the voice of Jesus, he shouts above the storm, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus responds saying, come. In this moment where fear and faith collide, Peter exchanges his fears, which would have been real. He was a fisherman. He knew the dangers of the waters. He exchanges his fears for faith. Peter demonstrates tremendous courage in this moment and he steps out of the boat towards Jesus. He exercises trust because he believes in the power that Jesus has. And we all know the story. After a while of being on the water, Peter's doubts and fears set back in uh, to the point where he takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks around at the storm and he begins to sink. And Peter, as Peter begins to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And, and Jesus reaches out, grabs him and lifts him to safety and queries why Peter doubted. Remarkably, Peter's cry, Lord, save me, is a cry of faith. So the moment of doubt in this situation is so fleeting. It reminds me a little bit of your Wi-Fi that drops out when you drive under a tunnel. It's just that momentary time where you're not connected, but then as soon as you come out the other side, you're connected again. And so there's this momentary moment where Peter's faith turns into fear. As Jesus and Peter climb back into the boat, the wind dies down. This is the second time the disciples have witnessed Jesus calm a storm. The wind that had caused Peter's fear, uh, the wind that had caused Peter to fear had now been calmed because Jesus was in control. All of these events together, Jesus walking on the water, Jesus enabling Peter to walk on the water, Jesus rescuing Peter, Jesus calming the storm, overwhelm the disciples. And there is only one response they have. Worship. The disciples bow down to Jesus, remarking, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, worship in Scripture is something that is reserved for God and God alone. The disciples clearly know that they are in the presence of the Son of God. We see from this that a clear and accurate picture of who Jesus is will not only lead to awe and amazement, but it will correctly lead to adoration and worship. The text concludes with the boat reaching the shore and many more healings taking place. Similar to last week's healing, where a lady with a flow of blood touched the hem of Jesus' robe and she was healed. And we're told that the healings that are taking place here are similar. People are literally just touching the hem of Jesus' robe and they are healed. And each of those people have a story. Just like that woman we heard about last week had a story. All of these people are being healed because everywhere Jesus goes, the presence of healing is there. 
I'm going to keep coming and reminding this, but remember, the presence of Jesus is the very presence of healing. The message of this sermon is so clearly illustrated in the story itself, isn't it? In the midst of life circumstances and storms, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We know this, right? But it sure doesn't come easy when the right waves are crashing and the wind is blowing. The disciples found themselves in a storm. The storm came because they were in the will of God. It wasn't their decision to cross over the lake at that time of night. They were obeying what Jesus had instructed them to do. The storm was not outside of God's will. Sometimes, like in the case of Jonah, storms can be used and brought into our lives for rebuke or punishment. But oftentimes, God will allow storms to come to test and to grow our faith. And it was in the midst of the storm that Peter's faith grew legs and stepped forward. Can you imagine what stepping out of a boat and walking on water would do for your faith? And Jesus was allowing this opportunity for Peter to grow as a leader, to develop as a follower. Peter models a faith that looks beyond the circumstances to the one who is in control of those circumstances. When Peter is out of the boat, Jesus is right there in front of him, giving him the power to do the very thing he asked to do. The only reason that Peter can, in fact, walk on the water is because Jesus has enabled and empowered him to do the very thing that he asked to do. In this moment, Peter is faced with both the storm and the reality of the storm, but he is also faced with the storm karma. When we find ourselves in terrifying circumstances, we may feel that God is distant, but could it be? that he is in fact right there in front of us. But we have taken our eyes off him and become fixated on the circumstances or on the trauma that surrounds the one who is in front of us. It is so normal and so human to focus more on the circumstance than on the saviour in these situations. Peter models for us humanity And we ought to take encouragement from that. We all face circumstances for which we are unprepared. Edith is a classic example. She went into hospital expecting to have a hip operation and return home a week later. She may never go back to her earthly home, I don't know. But for me, this is just a very uh, current situation of a circumstance that you can't be prepared for. And and there are all kinds of circumstances that we can't be prepared for. We weren't prepared for Andrew to break his leg, but it just happens. And there are circumstances that each of us face. Some of them are really small and insignificant, and others of them are a lot more significant. The reality is that we exist in a world where uncertain circumstances are certain. (laughs) Isn't that right? And the challenge for us 
is are we going to keep our eyes constantly fixed on the changing dynamic of our circumstances or are we going to keep our eyes fixed on the unchanging, constant presence of a saviour who has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. What we need is a faith that not only motivates us to step out, but a faith that sustains us. You see, the faith that Peter exercised in this particular event uh, was a faith that was motivated by a burst of emotional energy, but it didn't have the marathon legs to stay sustained. And that's what we need, isn't it? We need that faith to sustain us, not just to motivate us to take that step, but to keep moving in the direction that we feel God has called us to. What Peter lacked was that sustaining faith, but that's perfectly okay because Peter becomes an example to others. He became an example to the disciples in the boat that very day in that moment that he was able to exercise faith and trust in Jesus. He continues to model and set an example for believers today. Faith develops over time. Faith grows as it is exercised. And Peter is a developing leader. God develops us by allowing opportunities to enter into our lives and our worlds where we can exercise our trust in him. John Ortberg writes, Only Peter knew when he sank Jesus would be there and he was wholly adequate to save. The other disciples could not know because they never got out of the boat. This is the fundamental truth. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you want to experience the power of God in your life, you've got to take a step of faith. It involves risky obedience. Last week we talked about the fact that faith is trust exercised in the midst of hopelessness. Today we see that faith is trust exercised in the midst of risk. What is your risk Where is your faith being challenged or put to the test right now? Do you have a metaphorical boat that you need to step out of? Perhaps you already have. Maybe you're currently walking on water as we speak. And I know some of you are in that situation. And if that's where you are now, then can I encourage you? to keep your eyes on Jesus. He will sustain you. You are not alone. Perhaps you are avoiding or protesting stepping out of the boat. There is a faith risk or faith challenge in front of you, but you're not yet prepared to engage with it. Is there a ministry God is leading you to be involved in? Is there a conversation God is leading you to have where he wants you to share your faith? Is there a significant decision you are wrestling with? As none of our faith is fully developed and still has room for growth, my guess is there are scenarios of various degrees that require courageous, bold faith steps from each one of us out of our comfort zone. So, may we, like Peter in faith, 
step out of the boat toward Jesus, trusting that he will enable us to do whatever it is he is calling us to, and in the midst of the wind and the crashing waves, may we continue to fix our gaze on the one who brought us to where we are, the one who is entirely trustworthy, unchanging and constant. And may we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author, the sustainer and the perfecter of our faith. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story, one that we are, many of us, if not all of us, so familiar with. Lord, what we've heard this morning is not new, but we thank you for the reminder that in the midst of the storm and the waves and the chaos of life, you are there right in front of us because you have said that surely I am with you to the very end of the age. You have said you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. So Father, for whatever situation or circumstance we find ourselves in, remind each one that you are there beside and in front of each one, leading and guiding by your Holy Spirit. Father, for those of us who are anxious and nervous and in the boat and recognize that there is a risk, a faith risk that you are calling us to engage with, pray, Lord, that you would give us by your spirit the courage we need to step forward in trust, in faith, and in belief. I pray this not only as individuals, but I pray this over our church. I pray, Father, that we would be a church that is not content to remain with what is known, with what is comfortable, with what is safe. Help us to be a church that engages with what you're doing in this world a church that is prepared to step out of our comfort zone, a church that is prepared to take faith risks so that you might grow us into the people you are calling us to be, that you might mature us to be a people who are more like Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the disciples and their response to you and uh, Peter when they stepped into the boat, Lord, that they recognized that you were in fact the Son of God, that all authority and power lied with you. And so, Father, right now, we just want to recognize and align our hearts with yours. You are the Son of God. You are completely worthy of our worship. You are entirely worthy of our lives and our service. And so we offer them again to you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to take a moment now to reflect on what God might be saying to us, particularly reflecting on the response that the disciples had in saying, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And as we have that opportunity, we're going to receive our offering. Thank you so much for your generous giving. Let's continue to worship our God in this time.